Good morning. Today we'll hear from God's word from both Deuteronomy and Romans. In our first reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 5 to 8, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel just before they went into the promised land and he says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? The second reading is from Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 20. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will that unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike under the power of sin. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of our sin. Morning, everyone. There we go. Tripped by the technology again. My name's Coops, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. I thought I'd um, start uh, in prayer. So uh, why don't we why don't we pray as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us today, and Father, we pray that you would. Give us hearts to hear this morning and wills to respond, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after praying, I thought I'd ask you a question, and um, the question I had was, 
Have you ever been, I'm sure you have, have you ever been in a situation where you just thought you had everything under control and, um, you know, you really thought you could handle whatever it was, but you got to a point where you realised, you know, you just couldn't and you had to really just look outside of yourself. You had to go and seek some help. Um, it's happened to me quite a bit, actually, over the course of my life. Um, and I thought I'd share one story. I used to work in a hardware store when I was uh, going through high school. So I was working in this hardware store uh, one day, and um, it hadn't been a great few weeks at school. I'd got offside with my English teacher, and I don't remember why, but we were um, at odds over something. And uh, anyway, she comes into the store uh, with her partner, and she buys a couple of big bags of fertilizer, takes them to the checkout, and um, asks for help to take these out to her car. Now, that's the job for the young bloke. So they page me to the front, and I walk over there, and I see my English teacher, and I think, this isn't good. And uh, they ask me to take these bags out to her car. So I get really stubborn about this and think, well, I'm just going to get this done as quickly as I possibly can. I'm going to take both bags at once. And these are really heavy bags, right? So I lift up these bags, and her partner says, "Um, do you want a hand with those? Like, nah, nah, I've got it struggle with these bags out through the car park and he says like at least make two trips and I said no 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 it's fine dragged him out to the car and then uh, by the time I got there I dropped one it was really embarrassing and I just sort of got to that point where you know I could almost feel some of the muscles and valves and things in my body tearing apart internally like I just got to the end right at the end of my strength and I knew that I just couldn't do it and I knew I needed help and it works that way often, doesn't it? You get to that point, you know you can't do it, and you know um, you really need to turn somewhere and look for help. And uh, this passage in Romans that we've just had read and that we're going to look at uh, with a bit of detail now is a little bit like that. It takes the reader on a journey a little bit like that. Nothing to do with fertilizer this morning, but a lot to do with human nature and knowing that um, actually... Help is needed from outside ourselves to be right with God. No one's able to make themselves right with God, not through their own strength. It's just not possible because no one's righteous, not even one. And the law, God's law, proves that that's not the case. Now, previously, you'd remember in Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he's explained that all people are guilty before the Lord for ignoring God and not living his way. And then in chapter 2, he explained, well, as far as that goes, the Jewish nation, God's chosen people, they shouldn't think they have any special privilege. And then here in chapter 3, we'll see that even though the Jews were given God's law, even that doesn't give them a leg up, so to speak. And so uh, what we'll see actually is that the law shows just how serious the human condition is. Actually, it proves that no one's righteous, not even one. So three points that I'd like to cover today. Firstly, God is a righteous judge. That's the first point. Secondly, no one is righteous. All are under judgment. And finally, we'll look at trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. That'll be our third point. So firstly, God is a righteous judge. So at the, right, at the beginning of that chapter that was just read to us, Paul asks this question that, you know, if you were a Jewish reader of this letter way back when Paul wrote this, this might be a question that would be on a Jewish person's mind. As I said, prior to chapter 3, Paul's argued that the Jews shouldn't think they've got any special privilege. 
And so um, this question that he poses is, well, since they don't get any discount from God, what's the advantage of being Jewish then? You know, like what value is there if that's the case? And Paul says here, actually, there's plenty. There's plenty of, uh, of advantages. God published his good order of creation, his explanation of how to live in his world. He wrote it all down in scripture along with all his promises. And those words, God's words, were given to the Jewish nation. They were the recipients of that truth. This is God's message to humanity, given to them and given to them on behalf of the entire human race. So they had the opportunity to teach it to their families, to speak it to others, the privilege of being front and center of God's plan to save. So there's a lot of value in that. And actually, um, they seem to understand that in the t- at, at the time. They seem to understand that. If you cast your mind back to um, the Israelites as they've come out of Egypt and they're at the mountain um, in Exodus chapter 24, and they're at the bottom of the mountain where Moses has met with God and Moses comes down and he tells them everything God said. He's told them the truth of things. And if you remember, they all responded and they all said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's Exodus 24, uh, if you want to look that up. We will do it, they said, all of it. But we know that they didn't do all that the Lord had said. And in fact, some weren't faithful, which is what Paul is talking about here in uh, verses 3 and 4. Some weren't faithful. And right through the ages, actually, some of God's people weren't faithful. But that doesn't change God's faithfulness, which is what Paul is saying here. It doesn't change God's faithfulness. Thankfully, God, he has a, he's different to the way things work from a human perspective. So that hardware store that I used to work at that I talked about earlier, one of my colleagues used to work with me. Um, he decided he'd quit his job and the way he did it was he walked down the front to the cash registers and he ripped off his shirt and he threw it across the tills and he said, you can keep your shirt. Then he took his pen out and he threw that across the front of the store and said, you can keep your pen as well. They were quite cheap big pens too, so I'm not sure why. He did. They took off his tape measure and he threw that across the front and said, you can keep your tape measure and he stormed out. So it was pretty shocking but also pretty funny. And this was a big company, a big chain of hardware stores that I used to work at. And they keep records, right? They have a human resources database and they keep records. And um, so if someone wants a job there again, they might sort of look you up. And if you quit by tearing off your clothing, probably they'll say no. Which is fair enough, right, from a human perspective. But then how great is God? See, some weren't faithful. But he always was. He always is. And he continued to care. He continued to be committed to his people. Continued to hold out his promise. See, God doesn't go back and check his human resources database when people turn to him. That's part of God's character. He cares. And he's faithful to that character because he cares. And because he cares, he judges. And some people are surprised by that. I had a conversation not so long ago where I talked about this and this person was surprised. You know, some people might say, well, surely if God cared, he wouldn't judge. 
If he's a judging, if your God is a judging, jo- a judging God, then he mustn't be a caring God. But actually, that's not right. Actually, not judging wrongdoing is not caring. Not judging wrongdoing is indifference. And actually, that's not caring at all. You know, do whatever you want. I don't care, is what that would be. But you could imagine a judge in a courtroom, maybe presiding over a murder trial, and he's been presented this overwhelming evidence. This person is guilty. The defendant is guilty, and the judge just says, you know what, let's just let it all go. doesn't matter. It's not caring, is it, if the judge was to do that? And you couldn't say in that case that the judge is blameless. It would make him as bad as the murderer. But God is not like that. And so the last part of verse 4 there on the slide is from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, which I'll put another verse up here. This is verse 4 of Psalm 51. And this is the psalm that King David wrote when he'd uh, done that terrible thing to Bathsheba. And then he'd... um, He sort of doubled down on that sin and arranged for her husband to be murdered, if you remember that. And the psalm says in verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now this is David's thoughts that he's penned here to, to God. Against you have I sinned, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment you see god does care and he does care what's right for us so he must judge wrongdoing he must judge sin just as king david wrote here in the psalm that he's justified in doing that actually and by doing it he shows that he's faithful to his own character he shows his care he cares he shows he's blameless and he shows that his anger and his judgment is justified And so, the unrighteousness of the Jews demonstrated God's righteousness. Because God's righteousness is clearly seen in his judgment. This is what Paul is talking about here in verses 5 and 6. Through the unrighteousness of the Jews, God's righteousness, his character, is shown more clearly to them. Shown more clearly to us. It shows his He's righteous compared to their unrighteousness and that he's blameless in judgment. Shows actually that he's a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. So that's our first point. God is a righteous judge. But in contrast to God's character, come to our second point, which is no one is righteous and all are under judgment. No one is righteous, and all are under judgment, in contrast to God's character. Uh, to, uh, to God's character. And this is the point that Paul uh, goes on to make in verse 9 of our passage, where he says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So when he says we, he means the Jewish people. And he says, is there any advantage? No, he says. Not in terms of a free pass, anyway. All are under sin. 
And then he lines up this barrage of evidence, line after line from the Old Testament, from verse 10 right the way through to verse 18. And I'll read that. He says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And if you go through and look at all of those verses, these are all quotes from different Psalms. And there's a bit from the prophet Jeremiah and a little bit from Isaiah. All have turned from God. It makes them worthless in God's order of things. Their speech betraying the desires in their hearts, deceitfulness, cursing, bitterness, all of these things becoming actions, shedding blood, creating ruin, misery, creating disorder in God's order because they've turned from God, destroying God's peace because they don't fear God. Do you remember from earlier in the passage, the Jewish people had been entrusted with these words from God. They'd been given them. They had these words from the Psalms, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They had all of these words that painted this bleak picture of the human condition. And God had given them his law, showing them how they should live. And so the very final words in chapter 3, or at least this part of chapter 3 that we're looking at, Paul says that it is the law that makes it very clear that God's description of the human condition actually is spot on. The law makes that very clear in these two verses. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, God's law describes his order of things. Do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, all of those. The moral order that God wove into his creation is published in the law. And it was given to his people, to the Jewish nation. And it shows that the whole world actually is accountable to God because nobody can keep his moral order perfectly. The law shows up sin. Which doesn't mean there's a problem with the law. Not at all. That describes God's good created order. Actually proves there's a problem with the human condition. And that no one will be declared righteous by the works of the law. Because no one can keep it all. All the time. No one is that good. And being Jewish, having been given the word of God, that doesn't give the Jewish people a free pass. That's the point Paul's making. Because the law that they've been given, and it actually proves that everything that's written in the Old Testament and that was rewritten, that we just read out again, verses 10 to 18, everything written there about the human condition is actually true. So instead, the law should make them conscious of the very depths of their sin. Do you know what I mean? Not just an abstract idea of what sin is, but 
this concrete reality of disobedience and rebellion against God. It's like me and cheesecake, sort of. I really love cheesecake. I really love cheesecake. And it's a tradition in our house that every year for my birthday, Bron, my wife, makes me a cheesecake. And it's some of the best cheesecake you will ever find too, by the way. Which is true, but I also declare it publicly because it makes sure that I'll continue to get it made for me. But it is true. And if Bron's making this cheese, a cheesecake and you know she's doing that in the kitchen, maybe she's experimenting a bit and doing something different. And she says to me, don't go in, Coops, because I'm making you know, a special cheesecake for your birthday. Why did you tell me that? Now, really, I want to go in and have a look. She didn't tell me not to come in. Maybe I wouldn't want to as much, but now I really want to go in and check it out. Maybe nick a bit. The law is a bit like that. It brings out that rebellion against God and a deeper awareness that it's wrong, That's that it's sin. So through the law comes knowledge or an understanding or a, a consciousness of sin and an understanding of self that no one is righteous, not even one. And so by knowing that and that knowing God is a righteous judge, it becomes clear that there is a need, a real need to turn to God in humble repentance and trust him in God's faithfulness. Because no one can be right before God by themselves. Which brings me to our final point this morning, trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. It's been a bleak picture, hasn't it? So far, this picture of the human heart that's been painted, turned from God. The Jewish people, they're no different to anyone else. Unable to make themselves right with God by themselves. And that human condition hasn't changed. But God said this, way back in the Old Testament through the prophet Ezekiel. In verse 26 to 27, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So if you're here this morning and you've turned to God and you trust in his faithfulness, then you know God did that. He solved the problem to our unrighteousness. And you know that God's solution to that problem is the Lord Jesus and his death. And his resurrection and our faith in that. God taking the consequences of our rebellion on himself. Freeing us from sin. Unburdening us from the law. And giving us new hearts. Freed from the guilt of the law. But not ignoring it. Because the law... The law still brings knowledge of the sin that remains in us. You know, if we're reviewing our life in the light of the law, we find that sin is still there. Maybe painfully conscious that this perfection is, for now at least, out of our reach. But not forever. And even when we struggle, even though we still struggle, we've been washed clean. We've been given the Spirit. We're changed to want to live for God. And I really do hope that you feel that if you've turned to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then you are freed from the slavery to sin and thankful that God's faithful 
even when we're not. And that through faith, he gives us new hearts and this desire to live for him and an assurance that trusting Jesus makes us right with God. And that when he looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And we just wonder, don't we, at that gift and what he's done and the love that he must have to do that for us. And if you haven't yet turned to God to trust in his faithfulness, then I do hope that what we've looked at today, at least some of it will make sense to you. Maybe that verse about no one is righteous, not even one. Maybe that might ring true. I was talking with someone recently who doesn't yet know the Lord Jesus and they were almost groaning really about this lack of morality or this declining morality that they saw in Australia and the way people treat each other. This was the the comment they were making. You know, they could see what Paul's described in this passage in their own community. And it's not just everyone else, is it? It's, It's in us. Have you, have you ever tried to go a day without having a bad thought? I've tried. You can't be done. But God is faithful. Took that problem on himself and he dealt with it. He took our problem on himself and dealt with it once and for all. That's what Jesus did as he died and he rose again. The Jewish people, they weren't given a free pass. But God's solution here is a free offer to everyone. That through faith he'll give you a new heart and make you right with him. Not saying life becomes easy, but you'll know something's changed, that's for sure. I came to know Jesus uh, later in my life and I can tell you that I'm not the same person. I'm still the same. I love V8s and cricket. That hasn't changed, but I'm different. I see people differently. I see the purpose of life differently and I see hope. And if you talk to the people that know me best over those years, they'll tell you that I've changed. And if you catch me after church, I'll tell you about it if you're curious. And actually, if you come along next week to church right here, you'll hear a group of people stand up here and talk about that exact same experience. Talking about how Jesus changed them. And they'll be telling us about the faith they have in Jesus next week at Commitment Sunday. So if you don't yet know Jesus, my prayer for you is that you'll pick up a Bible and you'll read about him or you'll ask someone to read about Jesus with you so that you'll come to know him and you'll share with us an eternal future with our Lord, the one who's faithful to all those who turn to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words which you've preserved for us. Even though you know our nature, Lord, you reach down and save through the sacrifice of your son. And we thank you for that. We thank you for new hearts and confidence to say that we've been redeemed and saved to be with you. And Father, we pray that many in our community, our friends, our neighbours and our families would hear your word. Come to know the Lord Jesus and be saved to be with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.